0: A reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 25, until chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you will, you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. And gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the Word of God.
1: I had a teacher who used to say that when someone says, I didn't mean to say that, that what they're communicating is, I am sorry that I said what I meant. Now that's not always fair because sometimes things come out the wrong way or we do say something that needs clarification and i think most of us recognize that it's really hard to uh, restrain what we're thinking sometimes it comes out explicitly but sometimes it comes out through tone and our words matter and if you value the opinion of someone and they say something encouraging that has a very important effect on you but if they say something cruel it also has a deep effect. And, and therefore, it's not surprising that as uh, the Bible is trying to encourage us to have reformed lives, to be made new, that what we say is an important part of this new life we're invited to live. And so we've been in the book of Ephesians, and we, we're slowly now walking through chapter four. We will pick back up to a usual pace in about a week or two once we step into chapter five. But, but chapter four presents this contrast with a way of life that's natural to all of us and a way of life that um, is alienated from God and broken apart and self-destructive and harmful and discouraging and we're called into life with Christ. And there's a reforming where then things are made new and we're uh, given the spirit and made alive and therefore our lives are to be fruitful and productive and our future is hopeful. And so there are so many details that then we need to pay attention to that we've been talking about. Some of them, the kinds of things that Paul uh, talks about in Ephesians 4. And today we're going to talk about our words. And so in verse 29, the contrast, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, is with but only such as is good for building up. And so similar thinking, but here applied to our speech, there's an old way that we live, that there's corruption present. So that includes the words that comes out of our mouth, but there's a new way where we could speak so that it builds up because that's what our lives are about now. We wanna be committed to uh, doing good, to building up, and therefore our words need to be aligned with that. So uh, we're going to be focusing today on that outcome, but of course um, our words come, they, they, they materialize what we're thinking, what we're feeling, uh, and therefore when, in the New Testament often when it talks about the things that we say, it raises questions about what's going on inside of us. And so I want to talk about hearts today, and I want to talk about the hearts of people first, secondly, the heart of God, and then third, the heart of God's people. So I'm beginning with the hearts of people. And beginning there, because there are other places in the New Testament, for instance, uh, in Matthew and in Luke, Jesus says it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Um, And so he talks about what do you treasure? What do you value? Well, that's That's creating an internal system that then gets expressed through our actions, but through our words. The book of James in chapter 1 talks about the the impossibility for some to control their tongue, to tame their tongue. Um, And then later in James 3, he raises the question, how can people who claim to really be religious people praise God and with the same mouth curse their neighbor? And so what's going on inside of us? And so because Jesus has such a thorough picture that he's not just coming to give some rules so that we could on the outside appear to have changed our lives or be good moral people, but there's meant to be a thorough transformation so that we have have new roots that produce a different kind of life uh, where it's genuine. Therefore, if we're going to talk about words, we need to talk about what's in our hearts. And so in verse 31, it's a reminder of the kinds of things that are in our hearts that's producing, uh, it, it's, there's corruption within us that then cor- corrupts our words, which means that our words have a corrupting impact. So verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Now, slander there is the explicit expression of how uh, these things that we're experiencing are coming out, Um, but the roots of our words are in things like bitterness and malice, and therefore, uh, we need to be in tune with what's going on in our hearts. So on the one hand, we need to be practicing restraint because we're still in process. Our hearts still have corrupt things happening, and so we have to be prepared to hold back the thing that we are tempted to say that we know we shouldn't. But we need to go deeper and then wonder, why do I want to say that? And how do I change that? Uh, and so two weeks ago, we looked at the verse, just a few verses up, be angry and do not sin. And anger is a sign that something's wrong. We don't always assume that it's something wrong in us because sometimes you're justified in being angry because something wrong has been done. But there's a caution once you're angry. Uh, what are you going to do? what kinds of things might you say? And anger energizes you to act sometimes before you can think through something or it clouds your judgment. And therefore, if anger is at work growing in you, one of the areas of caution is in what you say. So first of all, we are all prone to saying the regretful thing because we can't hold it in or it seems timely or the urgency that we feel isn't timed right to the situation so we speak. Uh, a corrective or problematic thing before it's said. But but if anger is there, it, 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 it's affecting who we are. And therefore, when we communicate, not just with words, but with tone, um, <clears throat> the anger is going to come out. So it's not enough just to restrain uh, what you're saying, but but I imagine my family is not the only family. So some of you have have gone in these circles where, uh, where then the debate is not about what you said, but what you meant, because uh, you say something that carries with it a tone that communicates uh, something else bundled in. This is my bitterness coming out, or this is my wanting to poke at you. Um, but I said something that formally is correct. And then when that's pointed out, you get into an argument, um, you know then then the the rules based all of a sudden you're very interested in in grammar well these are the words that I said except that you didn't email them to me you said them and the and the words say this but what you communicated in the way you said it was that despite this sentence you actually have some problem and um why are we not talking about that so that passive-aggressive way that we bundle in with something that appears in the outside polite, first of all, so we could clear our conscience, but also so we could uh, avoid the fight. Um, but to have real relationships, people will pick up on that. So you can't just be somebody that's restraining your anger or uh, formally always saying the right thing without recognizing the fact that if there are things going on in you, it's going to come out. And so um, uh, the importance of not, so here, here's the language of, of take our anger, our bitterness, our malice, put it away from you. Don't let it, don't welcome it into your life so that it's having an increasing influence. But with anger, it's really hard. And one of the reasons that we're so warned about anger, again, just because you're angry doesn't mean that you have a problem. But even if you're justified in your anger, uh, what anger could start to do to you if you don't handle it properly. And so in, the, in the, the verse, in your anger, do not sin, quickly find out what the right thing to do is and do it. <laughs> don't avoid your problems and don't make the problems worse. Um, once anger is in us, we take hold of it. That's one of the reasons that anger is dangerous. And it's sort of like what I've heard about, uh, advice about uh, electric fences so I've heard about this don't have a lot of experience with electric fences you know my life is contained in Manhattan so I rarely get to the rural areas like in the Bronx where uh, (laughs) you know people encounter this but 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 from what I understand with an electric fence um, if you want to touch it to see if it's live you use the back of your hand having no experience with the electric fence I don't know why if there's a sign saying electric fence, you don't just believe the sign. So there's a whole thing here that I don't understand. So I'm not even sure scientifically this is right. But apparently you touch the fence with the back of your hand because electric fences are painful. They shock you. And so when you touch it, the pain makes you withdraw your hand. But if you touch it with the palm of your hand, uh, the theory goes that the electricity will cause you to grab it and then you're holding on to the very painful thing that's keeping the electricity going through you. Um, The Bible sort of seems to say anger needs to be approached in a similar way. Look, anger is going to be part of your life. It's going to be there. But be careful how you handle it because once you grasp it, it can be really hard to let go of. And then it starts to produce in your life Bitterness, a, a form of anger that grows beyond what's appropriate, grows beyond what you could contain, and therefore, it is really hard to restrain what you say when your inside is is uh, growing in such a same way uh, or growing out of proportion with with our anger. And so, uh, the, here we're saying, uh, Paul is saying, you know, be careful with your words. Don't slander. Uh, don't allow corrupting talk to come out. But for that to happen you need to put aside your malice your bitterness i don't know how many of you have seen the the tv show from a long time ago i love lucy they played the reruns when i was growing up so so i grew up with it but uh it's a show from the 1950s 1960s one of the most famous episodes is when lucy lucy and ethel get a job at a chocolate factory uh, and they have this very cruel uh, supervisor who is um, holding them to to a high standard, and so at what point their job is to sit in front of a conveyor belt and pick up chocolates and wrap them, but they're warned you better not let a single chocolate pass by, and the conveyor belt gets increasingly quicker, uh, and so they can't keep up. And so they're pulling the chocolates aside, but afraid that the manager is going to come out and see this pile of chocolates that's unwrapped. And so they start stuffing them in their mouths and in the front of their shirts, and they st- stuff their hats. And so this manager comes out, and there they are, uh, overflowing with chocolate from their clothes and their mouths, they can't speak. Uh, and it's this absurd thing that they they simply couldn't keep up with the demand. and And if your only strategy is to restrain Uh, your terrible thoughts, you're going to find yourself in that kind of situation because the world has corrupting influence. Things will happen against you and uh, we have corruption within us. And so as we're mistreated, as we are subject to harsh words, as we simply read the media, talk about a place filled with corrupting talk, we're all being affected by that. That, that that's, that's forming our souls in, in corrupt ways that we can't simply have restraint be the only strategy. Although restraint is certainly a valuable strategy. So um, what do we do with the reality that we have hearts that think things and desire to say things that our consciences know we shouldn't say either because they're wrong or because we don't like the impact. And self-control is one of the fruits of the spirit. So we don't want to say that self-control is not good, but, but the fruits of the spirit, in other words, when the Holy Spirit is working in us, it's doing a number of things in us, that work together, making us more virtuous, and therefore self-control becomes part of who we are. So we should be practicing that. So if you have a thought that's problematic, exercise the self-control to not say it. That's good. That's the appropriate thing to do. Oh, but, but in order to grow, we need to recognize uh, that deeper work needs to happen. So, uh, in, in this passage, one of the themes in the section that's been read every week, even though we're only looking at a couple of verses in it, is the theme of truth. And, and this, I think, is helpful because that's the concern with corrupting talk. Um, it's not fully true. It may have, uh, it may be completely false, in which case it's utterly corrupt. But what happens is sometimes we'll take something that's true, but we we bundle things into it. So it's true that right now you did something wrong and I want to talk to you about it. But I'm also bundling in the last six months of things you've done wrong that I haven't mentioned. And so that's coming. And so all of this is true, but it's a bit of a of a grenade that's about to blow up. Or here's something that's true, in which case you did something that bothers me. But actually, there's some selfish things going on where my pride is wounded. And so in speaking to you truthfully, I'm going to, I'm going to load on top of it some, something that's going to bring, sneak some harm into you. Kind of like when parents are trying to get their kids to eat vegetables, you know, like the one year old that you're feeding with the spoon and you sort of, uh, you surround it with, you know, you, you stick the, the lima bean into the mashed potatoes. And then my kids showed great sophistication that they would, uh, usually swish things around their mouth and then spit out the thing that we tried to sneak by them that happens in our conversation uh, and then we wind up having an argument that's confusing because even if you say something that's true we're arguing about something that we know is bundled in there and, and nobody's acknowledging it we're denying it and therefore um, we need to do more than just restrain but we need to focus on the truth. And so uh, maybe three weeks ago, verse 25, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Um, that speaking the truth, and then uh, not in this passage, but in the previous one in verses 15 and 16, uh, verse 15 has that phrase that we should speak the truth in love. And that's what needs to happen, which is that our goal is to love the person, and therefore we need to speak truth uh, and, and and that truth it becomes a category that helps us navigate the difference between corrupting talk and talk that builds up because another category that could be used is which would be appropriate is uh, one application from this is to make sure that you're speaking positively that you have a positive outlook attitude let your words be positive and avoid negativity that would get you a long way so the negative things, you're complaining, you're groaning, constantly looking for flaws, talking about them, uh, talking about your resentment. So negativity, good to avoid. Positivity, uh, how do you encourage someone? What do you see that's good? You, negative and positive are helpful categories as we think about what's appropriate to talk about. The danger if those are the only categories is sometimes the, the important thing that builds up is something that's true, that's not an easy thing to talk about, and therefore feels like it's negative. Why are you ruining the situation by bringing up this hard thing? And so we get to a little bit of a trap when we're only thinking in the the positive-negative paradigm, where speaking the truth in love is actually more helpful because the goal is not to corrupt, not to have a, a negative impact, but to build up. In some cases, the thing that will build up is the hard thing to say, but you're saying it in love because it's true. And therefore we have to do the work to say, um, before we speak, is this true? And am I bundling anything that's not quite true or not true to this moment in the situation? And therefore, if we can do a little bit of that work before we speak, on the one hand, we need to restrain our speech, but we also can do the work to refine so that when we do speak, we're speaking truth and love. We're speaking in order to build up and we're trying to remove as much of the corrupt influence as will make its way into our words as possible. And of course we need grace because none of us uh, will get this right. Um, but, but if we're gonna make sure that our words are right, we need to make sure that we're aware of what's going on in our hearts. So started by talking about the hearts of people all of us have corruption within us which means corrupting talk will naturally come out of our mouths um, in order to change our talk to be the kind of talk that builds up we need renewed hearts and and the bible's approach to to that is not first to start with our own heart but to understand the heart of god because it's in knowing god uh, that we start to experience transformation that's the invitation of ephesians step into the life of christ and the spirit will renew you so what i want to talk about secondly is the heart of god um every human being is affected by corruption corrupting forces uh the language of the Bible is sin. Sin is in us, sin is everywhere, and you can't get through life unscathed. So by the time you're an adult, you've been mistreated, you've been uh, unfairly um, uh, dealt with, you've had things, cruel words spoken to you. And kind of like with infectious disease, it it transmits in various ways. It could be in the air, it could be on a surface, it could be uh, some restaurant worker who goes to the bathroom and doesn't wash his hands, it could be physical contact. Um, Corruption makes its way into everything in various ways. Um, The Bible presents God as free of corruption. And therefore, God coming into the world in order to call us into his life is the way that God cleanses, restores, renews, reforms, reshapes us. And so when you look at the ministry of Jesus, who comes with a lot of words Uh, about our speech. And so you read Matthew five, for example, and it's not enough simply not to murder somebody, but if you call somebody a fool, you see that murderous spirit is somehow producing something in you. And so we need to deal with that. And so Jesus presents this caution, which is we are affected by the world and shaped by the world. And we respond by how we've been shaped. And Jesus is saying, I wanna protect you. And I can't protect you from being harmed by the world, but I wanna protect you from being molded by the world. And therefore, if you follow me, even if somebody uh, does something evil to you, you don't repay their evil. You, you, You don't curse the one who curses you, but you bless the one who curses you. You forgive the people who do wrong to you, because otherwise, if you take hold of the wrong that they've done and it starts to work in your life, you'll become like them. Instead, take hold of me, and then whatever they're doing, you will, in the midst of it, become more like me, and so Jesus has these very hard teachings where so many people read them and they think he can 't expect us to live this way, this must be there just to show us how far we fall short, so that we 'll come to him for forgiveness that 's one strong impression people get from reading the teachings of jesus, but jesus doesn 't simply come as a teacher, but he comes as one who embodies this one who does these things. And therefore, it's helpful whenever people, you know, say, what is God like? One of the Christian responses, well, look at Jesus, his son, who comes, the very likeness, the image of the invisible God. If we see what Jesus is like, that will give us a window into the very nature of God. Jesus did not come when the markets were uh, at their peak. He did not come when the, uh, the the flower children were going to San Francisco with a flower in their hair. He didn't come into these wonderful circumstances. Uh, the first century context was uh, there were factions. They were, they were uh, at the brink of war and destruction. Um, internally, they were divided. Externally, they were oppressed. Jesus comes into this context, which is why when you read the Gospels, he's constantly uh, the subject of corruption. Corrupting talk where he does some remarkable thing, and then the comment is, This looks like the work of Satan. Maybe he's possessed by a a demon that he's doing these things. Um, He comes and he teaches, and the crowds are skeptical. Uh, The so called experts are criticizing him. They're coming to test him and trying to trap him. People who genuinely love his teaching, um, man, this guy is so profound. And then he says something they don't understand and don't like, and they're like, Okay, we're done. They just walk away. So here's Jesus who comes in the midst of hostility and it's always a good exercise to read through the gospels and say, well, what did Jesus do? What did he say in the midst of these things? And the the scriptures given to us record the things that he said in those contexts. And in some cases it's restraint. So Peter describing Jesus going to the cross like a sheep to the slaughter. Uh, While he was reviled, he didn't revile back so so he it's not that you never defend yourself it's not that you don't speak truth in hostile situations. There were a number of things going on there but but when Jesus was crucified, he didn't come with threats he didn't repay evil for evil. But then you pay attention to the things he did say, and especially uh, as the gospel's near their end, and he's being crucified, he doesn 't say much. but a study on those seven last words really shows a lot of how profound. The scriptures and the plan of God is coming together in him. One thing that's appropriate for our purpose is what Luke records in Luke 23. There's Jesus not giving a defense to those who are slandering him. He's being falsely uh, falsely accused in a trial and he doesn't use his words in that moment to say anything about himself. But when he's being crucified, he prays, Father, forgive them. And so there he is Uh, Not defending himself against slander, but praying for the people who don't know what they're doing and are sinning greatly by rejecting God and crucifying him, a righteous person, but treating him as though he was unjust. What comes out of Jesus in that moment is a prayer to forgive uh, the people. Now, one response is, this feels unjust. I don't want to follow that person, (laughs) Um, that he would make me do that that he would teach me to do the same thing. Another response is, if that's the kind of person Jesus is, uh, boy, do I want to make sure that my life is connected with him. And that's what is portrayed of Jesus who comes. And he doesn't simply teach us the things that will give us fulfilling lives, but he shows us the way of truth, the way of grace, the way of righteousness, that if we really grasp it and that becomes who we are, then the world becomes transformed, is turned around. For us to be transformed, we need somebody who will not treat us with cruelty or won't passive aggressively bundle in some corrupt something, but somebody who is fully upright, gracious, kind. And that's where um, in verse 32, when it tells us how to treat one another, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ, forgave you. Before we do this, we need to have it done for us. And that's what we're told is it's possible you can now live very differently within this corrupt world with your own corrupt desires because you are now united to the one who is holy, who is without sin. And therefore, uh, we are to forgive others. Why? Because God in Christ forgives us. And it's a costly forgiveness and he gives us that forgiveness because of the generosity of of his very being. And so uh, the call that we should be kind to one another is because kindness is in the very character and nature of God. And that's what changes us, to, to start to live in the world in relationship to somebody who is kind, somebody who is gracious, somebody who is loving, somebody who speaks truthfully. That's what the Christian spiritual life is about, It's about being connected with God in his goodness. And the more we experience that, the more we're shaped by that, when we realize that what Jesus has done for us was so profound, so sacrificial, so generous, so costly, but so transformative that that God has found a means to offer forgiveness to us despite all the things we think, feel, and have said and have done, despite all of the corruption in us or the corrupting things that we've done. God loves us And we know this love because of the sacrificial expression of it through what he did on our behalf. When that becomes the defining event, the big event in our lives, when we realize the most important thing in history that my life can now be part of was done, it was an act of grace, an act of generosity, an act of costly sacrifice. When your life is being redefined by that, then, Uh, the great thing God has done for you has more influence in your life than what anyone else has done to you. And it's that possibility that despite the corruption that has, has come into us, there is a grace that is even greater that goes into the depths of who we are that then becomes redefining because our lives organize around what happens. And that's when when somebody says something to you, and then it bothers us. All of a sudden, our mood organizes it around that, our thoughts organize around that, and then we show up with the next people we're with. And now we're dangerous, we're edgy, because uh, our, everything has been reorganized about this one corrupt thing that has come in. The meditation on the gospel is to say we always need to be aware of this one remarkable life-defining thing where God loved me, And because he loved me and invites me to walk with him, I'm gonna reorganize all that I'm seeing and experiencing around that. And so this language of God's kindness, I offer that uh, just because it's come up before in Ephesians. The message of Christianity that God loves us, most people know that, and it's a powerful message. But what is love? And this is where a lot of us don't really understand the breadth of the purity of the, the greatness of God's love. Uh, for today, because we're called to imitate Christ as one who forgives, but also by being people who are kind. Think about the kindness of God, because that is so valuable when you find yourself frustrated, when you find yourself mistreated, when you find yourself thinking, where can I just lay what I'm thinking bare? Who will accept me with all of these current flaws? Where can I just speak the truth of what's going on and not have it corrupt others? Um, it's God's kindness that actually uh, is, is one of the ways of understanding his love. I mean, in 1 Corinthians 13, for this description of love, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. Um, you may know broadly that God loves, and you may have heard the message that God loves you. Uh, but sometimes until we really understand what that love is, it doesn't deeply change us. God's love is kind, he's very kind to us. Um, and that's a rare commodity. It's not an easy thing to fake. And so this this message of what God has done is a message where you can enter into uh, a relationship marked by forgiveness, by kindness, by tenderness. And so in, in uh, chapter 5, verse 2, the last verse that was read, where it says, to walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us. What is that love? It was God's kindness that though he could uh, judge us for our wrongdoing, instead he received that hostility, that judgment in order that we would be set free from it. And that doesn't instantly make you perfect because we are in process and we still live in a world that uh, is sufficiently hostile that we have to deal with our own selfishness and our anger and all of these things but that understanding that God is not just a being out there with rules that we follow, but that God is a loving creator who is kind and his kindness is meant to be transformative to us. Uh, The more you grasp that, the more it shapes you. This week, I went to visit someone uh, in the hospital. So I have a friend who's a pastor at a church quite a distance from here and he had a church member who was coming to new york because he needed a procedure that it seems that there's only one or two surgeons who uh really have the expertise to do this and so he came here for that knows nobody here is here alone uh so i went to visit him just to check in with him see how he's doing and he's christian and he has not had an easy life and when i was talking with him he was in pain and he is waiting for a procedure that will happen next week that he knows is going to make things worse for a period so he has difficult things ahead of him, but what was remarkable in talking with him, so, you know, the pastor goes to visit, and and so I just want to hear his story, and so what naturally comes out is his faith story, this conviction that God called him. He, he, he saw the kindness, the grace of God. God invited him uh, into this life, and that's how he's lived the recent portion of his life. What was so interesting to me is he kept talking about Um, where he was discerning God's kindness in this whole process, things where he was talking about how, how scared he was to come to this hospital and these little things along the way and how things worked out, and all of these examples where his view on life is God is providing for me in all of these ordinary ways, and he has the eyes to see it. And now here's a guy who, while I was talking to him, was in pain. So this is not a guy that just, you know, had a great day, and he's giving me a pep talk on on what happens if you have a positive attitude. Here's somebody who's saying, "My life has been hard. Right now, I'm not at my best, and I'm concerned about where things are going. But God has been so gracious to me in the big ways that it's opened my eyes. So now, in every small way, I recognize it, and it helps me. And so." So he had said he was anxious for weeks coming into the hospital, and he has not yet had the procedure he needs. But when I was with him, he wasn't worried about it because he saw how the Lord had prepared things, and, and that recognition of God's kindness was shaping him. And it's easy to get cynical, to, to think that that sounds naive, but the alternative, look, we're, we're a New York church. New York is filled with people whose lives are largely going well. Their finances are going well. Their careers are going well. Uh, they're, they're achieving all of the things they set out to. And one little thing goes wrong and it infuriates them. And it's almost, and when I say them, I'm talking about us. It's almost like life isn't worth living if these things go wrong. And, um, and is that is that a more honest, is that a more true way of seeing things? That sounds like an utterly corrupt way of experiencing the world. Because that person says, how can somebody who's suffered like this guy in the hospital believe in that kind of God? And the guy in the hospital doesn't have an answer for why he's suffering. He knows that suffering is real. And yet he's utterly convinced that God is kind and that he's going to be okay. My interactions with him, this guy, I left encouraged because there was something in what he believed that last week, I'm preparing the sermon about watching your words, and so I'm in tune with my heart. Last week was a perfectly fine week for me. Not a lot went wrong. I had major moments of self-pitying, grumbling. I don't know. Don't talk to my wife or son after service about what my tone was like. Um, It's remarkable, these little things, how they affect you, and it changes how you see. Um, And then here's a guy that was just grateful for the Lord's provision and that t- our talk was building up talk. He was bearing witness to the Lord's kindness and uh, and it helped me to get some perspective on my own sort of relatively uh, pathetic uh, mood that I was in. Um, this is not a quick fix. It's, it's, it's about knowing the heart of God so that we can create a culture so that rather than corrupting being what's coming out and how we're impacting one another, that the kindness of God, the forgiveness, the, the reality that we can live a better way. Once we know the heart of God, that changes our hearts. So the third and last thing uh, I'll talk about is just how our hearts are changed when we know the heart of God. And so you'll need to deal with your current imperfections. You'll need to deal with the fact that the world's pressures will bring out the worst in you. But what we keep needing to go back to yeah, is God in that, that in those moments, we need to know that there is goodness, there is kindness, there's somebody who cares, there's somebody who will receive me, somebody who will help me. And that devotional life, that, that spiritual life, that as it grows, um, the picture in Ephesians, where it says that we are to put aside our anger, our clamor, um, don't allow these things to to take up space in your life. So verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That language of seal is a mark. Um, The presence of the spirit of God in you is meant to to bear fruit. Um, God's work in you is is meant to to bring real change. And it's not an instant thing where you become perfect, but you're you're moving from who you were to who you are becoming. And so Paul is saying, so take the slander and, and don't allow it to be part of your life. The malice, the bitterness, just don't give it room in your life, but be filled with the spirit. And so uh, to grieve the spirit is because God loves us and because he loves us, he doesn't want us to be consumed by falsehood to allow us to stew in the bitterness that's destroying us and those around us. The spirit is there to sanctify us, to help us to deal with our problems in honest and truthful ways, but also uh, to to be people that are hopeful. Um, some years ago I was borrowing my aunt's car and um the the gas tank was low and I stopped to fill it up with gas and then as I was driving the car started to act a little bit strange and I thought I was in the wrong gear and then eventually it just stalled and stopped going I had to call a tow truck it was quite an ordeal this was late at night Um, I didn't think cars took diesel I thought that was for trucks I thought you know car needs gas there's gasoline petrol which goes in cars diesel takes trucks this was a French car that uh, a Renault that took diesel. Uh, you don't put, you don't mix petrol and diesel in the same tank. The car is not going to work. That seems to be what James is saying about um, springs of fresh water and salt water. You're you're blessing God with your lips, but you're cursing people. Uh, this is not meant to coexist. And so Paul, Paul, who's writing Ephesians, is saying, now you have the Holy Spirit in you. Drink deeply of that. Be filled with the Spirit. And don't don't keep anything. Don't hold on to anything in your life that would bring grief to the Spirit that wants to build you up, that wants you to have joy and goodness, that wants you to be somebody that builds up others. And so, rather than grieving the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit and empty yourself of these things that you know are only dragging you down. And so, uh, verse thirty-two: um, because of what Christ has done for us, we should be kind to one another, tender-hearted and forgiving. And so as we apply this to our speech, uh, in verse 29, where it says, uh, you you should speak only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So uh, this week, you're you're gonna be tested on this. Uh, you're gonna find yourself in situations where you know the thing that you feel like saying is not the appropriate thing to say. And so there's gonna be a lot of opportunities uh, just to have a self-awareness. So so there's the positivity, negativity thing, try to be positive, try not to be negative. There's the speak the truth in love, make sure that you're truthful. Um, but here's something that I think is part of the, the broader outlook, the orientation that we're meant to have, which is in Ephesians, it's saying there's a self-centered way that's natural to us, where we go into the world to take what we can get, to seize what we want, and that's part of our corruption. God has given us what we most fundamentally need, and so we should take hold of that with thanksgiving and share it. So last week, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he would have something to share. The thief wants to take something tangible, but instead we should work so that we have something tangible to share. It's a similar paradigm shift. We want to take things from people. We want to take their happiness from them because we're bitter and we don't want to be bitter alone. And so we're takers. And what can I take? And sometimes you want to take the positive things from somebody. You want to absorb all the encouragement, leaving them completely exhausted um, by constantly needing to care for you. Uh, there's a different way of living to say, you know what? Yes, I'm a person that has needs, but, but God is gracious and what he has given me in Christ is enough that what me receive of this Holy Spirit and be strong in the spirit so that I have something to share. And so one of the things you'll see, what makes our language corrupt is uh, just a framework. Am I about to say something that's going to take something away, <laughs> that's going to take something away from somebody's reputation, that's going to take something away from this moment, I'm going to distract from it, that's going to take away a good thing that's happening and I'm going to ruin it just because I'm in a bad mood. So so that, that, that sense in which, uh, The corrupt way is to be somebody who takes, but the new way is to be somebody who gives. With your speech, um, and again, this won't apply to every single situation, but as a heuristic, sort of a rule of thumb, as you go into the world this week, um, watch your heart and say, am I wanting to say this because I'm trying to take something, maybe a little bit more than I'm entitled to, more than belongs to me, something that would be corrupting? Or actually, is there an opportunity to give something? Can I say something encouraging because it's true, not because it's flattery? Can I say something that's true that will help the situation advance, even if it's kind of a challenging thing, but, but it's true and therefore it will be for the building up. And so, so the, the corrupt nature tears everything down. We're told, step away from that, have nothing to do with it. You're gonna get pulled into it and destroyed. You're invited into the life of God and God will fill you with his spirit and live with the joy of that spirit. And so this week you'll have opportunity to say things. Be intentional to say things that build others up. Uh, And if we as a community could be a group of people that are not marked by slander and talking about each other and yet are also honest about hard things and therefore truly encouraging, we're going to find that uh, the sermon series called Join Together, Growing Together, we will maintain that unity and if we're Filled with the Spirit, have the heart of God, um, and verbalizing that, we will be a growing people, growing with, with depth, with character, being formed in the likeness of Christ. Let me pray for us. Our Father, um, we know that we are in process. Some of us have not yet begun, and we we need to see the truth of your kindness, and so open our eyes by your spirit to see that this is real genuine true hopeful some of us are trying to figure this out and Christianity is hard and doesn't make sense and so we pray that you would teach us some of us have been trying this for so long that we're discouraged by our own inability our stubbornness the fact that we're so slow to change but Lord, would be kind to us forgive us again uh, be gracious so that we really would experience the fullness of this life that is in christ that we would not grieve the spirit but that we would rejoice full of the spirit and that what would come out of us would bring glory to you would build up those around us and help us to gain wisdom and discipline so that through self-control we would hold back um, the things that would harm others and that we would let go of the things that are in us that are producing uh, these harmful thoughts and feelings so, Lord, we depend on you for that. Um, work graciously in us, but um, uh, help us this week to, uh, to follow you and to bring honor in whatever we uh, face this week, where we will be tested in this. Um, protect us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.